Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Tonight we're going to pick up where we left off the last time. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11 tonight. And I'll tell you what, it's just amazing how the scriptures are just like a mirror. And you look into them, you see yourself. We're talking about poise in the face of persecution. This is part three. We're going to talk about tonight the weakness of fleshly weapons. The weakness of fleshly weapons. 2 Corinthians 10, 7 through 11. I hope you're beginning to see that God's word is absolute truth. If there's anybody questioning that, then we need to sit down and talk. God's word is absolute truth. And it ought to be the stronghold in our minds. In other words, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 29 says that the way of the Lord, now you don't know the way of the Lord, and if you don't know the will of God, if you don't know the word of God, the way of the Lord is a stronghold to the righteous. That's that strong tower we sung about. It's in God's word is the power, now listen carefully, to disarm, to disarm, and to triumph over every lie that lurks in our minds behind all of our wrong behavior. But the sad thing is, there are people within the church in the 21st century, as well as it was in the day of Paul, that will not trust in God's Word, will not bow before its authority. Instead, they have allowed themselves to build strongholds, as we saw in the text, fortresses of wrong thinking, which completely shut out the Word of God and determine a very illicit type of behavior. Like the gibbon monkey we talked about last time, the monkey who, who they ran a test on. You know, they put the container and chained it to the floor. And the monkey could put his hand in like this, but he couldn't pull it out like this. And they put candy inside of it, and he was free. But something in his thought processes, I don't know how monkeys work, but something in there told him that he needed the candy more than he needed to be free. Because when he grabbed the candy, he couldn't pull his fist out, and he wouldn't turn loose of the candy. Now, in Paul's day, it was no different. There were two distinctive groups that were corrupting the minds of the Corinthian believers. They were like cancer in the body of Christ. One group was those who preached the law instead of preaching God's grace. They called them the Judaizers or the legalizers, and he refers to them in, in, in these last four chapters. The other group 
was the worldly philosophers who were so enamored with men and the wisdom of men and, and, and the ways of men instead of God's. And they were not outside the church. They were inside the church. We know this because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 12, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? That's not what his business was. Do you not judge those that are within the church? Paul asked the Corinthian believers. You see, these poisonous people hated authority, especially the authority that Paul and the apostles had in the churches. And you see, it was this authority, really, that the false teachers were revolting against when they accused falsely Paul. And the reason is they wanted control over the people. They wanted control over the people and the way they thought and the way they acted. Paul and all of all the apostles of his day. Now, we don't have apostles today, not like the apostle Paul. I hear people say, oh, he's an apostle of this church. No way, Jose. Uh, those apostles went away. We don't have them anymore. They, we don't have people with that kind of authority. These were used as the canon was put together of Scripture. But they had, they had the authority of God to deal with these false teachers and to deal with them with great gravity. It says in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, listen to what Paul said. I've decided to deliver such a one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That's the kind of the authority they carried. In 1 Timothy 1, 20, Paul says, Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Paul was determined to suppress their insolence and to suppress their, their, the power of what they were teaching these people. But he, he's already told us he's going to do it in the armor of Christ. He's not going to do it with fleshly weapons. Paul knew that only when he's dressed in the character of Christ, only when the Word of God has renewed his mind and saturated and seasoned every word that he says, does he have any, any authority at all. And, and, and folks, let's understand that the problems of Corinth they're going on today in the church in the 21st century. It's no different for us. We're all daily in this same battle, not only in our personal lives against those things which threaten the Word of God and what we know about that, but we're also in a battle with people who have been so programmed by worldly humanism and other things that we constantly are being embattled into this war. Whether we're winning or losing the battle is reflected in the way we behave. That's a, that's a tough one. You find somebody who lives in immorality, immorality, immoral behavior, you've got somebody losing the battle. There's a stronghold somewhere in his mind. I wish we could understand that when people get into pornography and all this kind of stuff, that's not the problem. That's the symptom. Man, we, we're, we're beating people up without even trying to help them. We need to go to where the root of the problem is somewhere, somehow. They've built a stronghold in their minds that somehow is determining that kind of behavior. When people are critical and judgmental as, and bitter and, and all this kind of stuff, it's coming from something in the mind. And, and we never seem to be dealing with the problem. We're always dealing with the symptom. I just did a conference for businessmen in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and Friday night, I didn't know what they were going to do. I was going to preach on 2 Corinthians 10 on strongholds because it was fresh off the press. You know what? Three guys or two guys got up and gave their testimony of how they'd been entrapped into pornography and how only the Word of God has been able to rebuild their thinking and their relationships with their family. And I, man, and then I got up and preached out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and man, it was, a, it was really a time with the Lord. You know what I pray for? Let me tell you what I pray for. Well, really, Wayne, we don't really care. We don't have any choice but to listen to you. 
You know what I pray for? I pray that our church one day will become such a safe environment that somebody has those kind of habits and those problems in life can actually come and talk to somebody and feel like somebody's going to help them by taking them to the Word and putting them back into the Word of God. You see, what we do, we shoot our wounded. And, and Paul's trying to say, listen, man, you don't deal with this kind of stuff with fleshly weapons. You don't deal that way. You better be dressed in the character of Christ, and you better have the Word of God as the stronghold of your life. We have everything we need in Christ Jesus to win this battle, not only in our individual lives, but when we deal with others who are fallen to it. We have, him in, we have in him divinely powerful weapons. Chapter 10, verse 4, Paul says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. If you summed up all of our divinely powerful weapons, we preached on it last time, it would all wrap itself up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It would wrap itself up in his word, seasoning every thought and every word that we speak. It's all in him. Jesus is the armored garment of Ephesians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 6. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we begin to understand then that our enemy is not flesh and blood. We don't war against each other. We've got bigger enemies than that. That's why we need divinely powerful weapons. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, Paul says. Our strategy is by allowing Christ to live through us and his word to be the stronghold of our minds. And it's a beautiful picture here of warfare, how, the, how God's word comes in and captures that thought. And how it, it, those thoughts, it, it, they cast themselves in front of the knowledge of God. And then it leads it in captive to the obedience of Christ to where it's put to death. And now our minds are renewed with the things that God has said. The picture's awesome. The picture's awesome. By yielding to Christ, by allowing his word to saturate our lives, we disarm every lie that every one of us have believed from time to time that we need anything outside of Jesus to satisfy our lives. Like that gibbon monkey, turn it loose. Lay it down. It's not worth putting yourself into bondage because we can live free in him. Well, last week we briefly mentioned verse 6, and I've been wrestling with it, and some of you have. I'll give you my personal two cents worth. We're going to move on. Paul says in verse 6, and we're ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. That's a tough one. Uh, it's no way of measuring somebody's obedience to see if it's complete except in one area. And what he's dealing with, in chapter 10 through chapter 13 of the book, he's dealing with the false teachers, those who are deceiving people, the followers of them within the church. And as I was studying this this past week, I recalled he's already said something about this. And I went back to chapter 6. And let me read for you verses 12 through 18 of 2 Corinthians 6. He says, you're not restrained by us, he says to the Corinthian believers, but you're restrained in your, by your own affections or in your own affections. He says, now in like exchange, I speak as to children. Open wide. Come on, open up with us. He says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? 
For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, he says, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean, and I'll welcome you, and I'll be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, to me, what he's doing in verse 6, when he says, when your obedience is complete, I think that what he's saying is, when you, you have fulfilled what I've, I've admonished you with, and you've come out from amongst those people. You've separated yourselves from the people that are false, the people that are teaching the false doctrine and the followers that they have within the church. And when you come out, and I know that you're standing 100% behind me, then I'm ready to, to avenge and to deal with all disobedience. Well, obviously, there may be some other thoughts on this, but it's a tough passage. Who are the disobedient he's talking about? The word disobedient is the word parakoi. It comes from the word parakuo. It means to hear aside something. It means to hear something wrongly. But in further study, it means to, to hear something but have absolutely no intention of ever doing anything about it. And those were the hardened people within the church. These were the false teachers. Also, I think it was talking about the followers who would not in any way listen to what the Word of God had to say. It appears to me again, that he's pointing to those who have no respect for his authority within the church and to continue in their wrong thinking. Well, in verse 7, Paul begins to address these false teachers. He, he, he has an audience even bigger than that. He also is addressing the church there at Corinth. I see in these verses something that I just, it's on my heart, and I'm going to share it with you. It's not everything he's talking about here, but I think the message that spoke to my heart in light of what we've already been studying is, is to look at the weakness of the flesh because he deals with it in verse 7 all the way down through verse 11. Remember, he, he told us earlier that the people that were accusing him they, they viewed him as if he walked according to the flesh. And now he's going to show you the weakness and the sickness of the weapons of the flesh. He, and if you're here tonight, and if you have not allowed God's word to build a stronghold in your life, you're going to look at yourself tonight. This is you right tonight. This is all the flesh is capable of. This is how the flesh responds in any, any situation, and it's interesting what he brings out. Paul, armed in the character of Christ, seasoned with the Word of God now, begins to disarm and, dis, and, and, and all the different ways of the flesh and show you what it's really all about. First of all, I want you to see this. What I get out of it and what really spoke to my heart is that flesh, flesh, you wanna, if you want to walk after the flesh, here's what flesh does. Flesh always looks on the outside and not on the heart. It always looks on the external, never seems to see that there's something deeper than that. It looks on the outside. He says in verse 7, A, part of the verse, he said, you are looking at things as they are outwardly. Now, Paul has again addressed this same error. Early on in chapter 5, he, he told them, he said, man, we, we don't recognize somebody walking according to the flesh. We, we don't recognize that kind of, we don't look at the outside. We look at the heart. Let me read it for you. Chapter 5, 11 through 17. He said, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we're made manifest to God. In other words, God knows what we're doing, and I hope that we're, we're made manifest also in your consciences. We're not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us. Why? So that you will have an answer. Now listen carefully. 
for those who take pride in appearance, now listen, and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're out of, if we are out of, our, our, our sound mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, he says, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh. You see, the flesh always looks on the outside. The way somebody looks or the intelligent, convincing way in which he speaks is so impressive to the flesh, to those who walk according to the flesh. Here's the problem. Here's the problem in Corinth. Some of the believers have fallen into this kind of trap. Have you ever made this statement? I have, and I wonder if you have. Have you ever made this statement? Boy, if that old boy gets saved, God sure could use him. (laughs) Don't raise your hand. Everybody in here would raise their hand. That's a statement right out of the pit of hell. He's not, he's not impressed with any ability that any individual has. God is only impressed when he looks at us and sees himself. But you see, the flesh looks on the outside. Man, that old boy, he's good in politics. Man, that old guy, he's good in business. Man, that old boy's got a big bankroll. If God ever gets a hold of him, no, absolutely not. God's not impressed. But you see, the flesh is. That's what he's trying to say. You're looking on the outside. You're not looking deep enough. It's not looking upon the heart. Well, many had been deceived into this way of thinking. Remember when he wrote the Corinthians the first time, and he said in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as infants in Christ. When I was teaching 1 Corinthians, and I was in Chattanooga, (laughs) I was in Sam's one day, one of those kind of places, and I found a big old... (laughs) jar of adult pacifiers and I bought it <laughs> and I took it back and put it behind the pulpit and sometimes people would come up and go yak 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 I just say here take that thing suck on it for a little while will you because what Paul is saying to them you won't come out of the nursery you see the first three chapters he had to deal with them they're so enamored with the way the world does things they love worldly wisdom and the very fact that they still had that tendency made them fair game to the false teachers who lived that way. False teachers came in. That's the way they lived. The people were already living that way. What stronghold, what stronghold do you reckon was built in their minds? Because they were behaving just like the world. Well, in verse 7, the phrase, you are looking at things as they are outwardly, can be taken as a command or a statement. You say, why is that? Because the indicative and the imperative mood have exactly the same endings. <laughs> So if it's a command, he would be saying, come on, people, look at the things right in front of you. Pay attention to what you're seeing. I don't think it is a command. A statement is like it's translated. I believe what he's saying here is, man, you, you are doing this. It's, 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 you're looking at things as if they were outward. The flesh has no clue how to discern how to, whether a person's right or not right with God or whether his teaching is right or his doctrine is right. The flesh has no ability to discern that. They look more at how he said it. They look more at the media he used to do it. They look more at his humor. They look at other things, but they don't understand how to tell when they're hearing from the Word of God. (laughs) I was at a conference last year. You'd be real surprised if you knew where it was. I was sitting with someone that you'd be real surprised if you knew who you said. I said, no, you know all this. A guy got up in a pulpit, 
And he began to preach and never really took anything from the Word of God. And I mean, he obliterated what the subject never, it, it angered me, in, I think, in a righteous way. It really did. I, I wanted to stand up and say, what are you doing? And I was just getting ready to say something to the person sitting next to me. And the next row over jumped up and everybody jumped up and they started clapping. And one of them said, that's the best message we've heard this whole conference. And I thought to myself, dear God, where are we? That's what happens with the flesh. The flesh, man, if a guy's got a good presentation and if a guy knows how to do it, it's more enamored with that than what he's saying. It has no discernment. It looks on the outside. It doesn't look on the inside. And so Paul is trying, you know, and I'm not after, he's getting after Corinth. He said the flesh is much more impressed with outward appearances, such as how a person looks or how funny he is or his personality or his pedigree, than he is with the true evidence of how God is working in his life. Paul alludes to some of this in chapter 11, verse 22, to show you that they, they, they were of the Jewish uh, section. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. It's almost as if he's saying, so what? But boy, that really got their attention. Who are you? Where you're from? How much money you made? How successful you are? These are all the mistaken observations of the fleshly-minded man who's got a stronghold in his mind bigger than Dallas, and it's not the Word of God. It's the way the world thinks, and that's determining his behavior. Paul even had to defend the fact that he didn't have to have letters of commendation. They had them, but he didn't in chapter 2. So the false teachers used their pedigree, their prestige, their worldly credentials to fool the gullible believers of Corinth. But remember, all of this was to put down the Apostle Paul, to get them thinking like the false teachers were thinking so they could discredit Paul and usurp his authority over those people. Let me ask you a question tonight. I just got a lot of this on my mind. What is your grid of discernment? What is your grid? of how do you How do you judge? How do you discern spiritual truth and godliness and whether or not God is truly working in somebody's life? What grid do you use? You see, this whole idea that if churches are big, that must be right, comes out of the wrong mindset. That's crazy. The whole term mega church is, is absolutely an insult to the whole New Testament. Here we are, we are one. But that's exactly, when you start thinking big is better and big must be of God, you have a stronghold in your mind which is not of the Word of God. I want you to show me sometime when God ever tried to appeal to a crowd in the Gospels. Find me one place. I want somebody to show me when he tried to appeal to a crowd. John chapter 8, he spoke the hard things, didn't he? What did he say? They walked away and never came back again. You see, we have a mindset that's not of God. It's because the flesh always looks on the outside, not on the inside of that which God may be doing. <laughs> we had a funny story. He's going to come and preach for us this summer. We have Gene Getz coming, but we also have John Metter. We also have John Elliott. Boy, we've got to line up this year for our, what we call, and call this year, Living Grace Conference. It used to be called Equip, but somebody else is using that name, and it's causing confusion, so we're going to change the name. But boy, we've got some heavy hitters coming in here. But John Metter is going to be coming in. He's the guy I recommended to follow me at Wilden Park 
He's 6'5". We didn't have to lower the pulpit. He's 95% deaf and has overcome that. At five years old, he went completely deaf or 95% and he overcame that. It's a beauty. He's a beautiful person. And he's good looking. Oh, gone it. And he's young. <laughs> and my last day was his first day. And they came by and said goodbye to me. And they saw John and forgot all about me. <laughs> they hugged him. Well, whoo he's, he's young and full of energy. My wife happened to be in the restroom, and here's what she heard. Now, I'm trying to get you to understand how the flesh looks at things and how the spirit looks at things. And she heard this lady in the bathroom saying, I don't know what he said, but isn't he great to look at while he's preaching? It's exactly what I'm talking about. It's exactly. Flesh has no discernment whatsoever. A flesh, the flesh doesn't know when it's heard a message from God and when it hasn't heard a message from God. It's more concerned in whether or not the presence or the presentation or the personality somehow grabbed them. Did it do something for me? Did it move me? Did it make me feel good? That's what the flesh is. And folks, understand, that's a weak weapon to use against the strongholds we're up against in this world. When somebody chooses to walk after the flesh, you're looking at yourself right here, the flesh Looks on the outside, not on the heart. Secondly, what I saw coming out of here and really spoke to me was that the flesh, based on that first principle, because of that, it bases its worth on tangible things. It bases its worth, even its own salvation, on tangible things. It'll base it on an experience rather than on the inner witness of the Spirit in their life that they're truly child of God. Paul in Romans 8 says that there is an inner witness of the Holy Spirit that we're God's child. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. It's an inner witness. It's not based on anything outward. It's something God does. It is spiritually revealed. But you see, the flesh bases it on other things. One of the biggest fears I have and, I, and I'm just sharing my heart with you in this day and time. Is there's so many people in churches that don't know the Lord Jesus from a hole in the wall. They've never come to know him. And you know what they're basing it on? They base it on an experience. Well, I went down and I prayed and I cried. I did too when I was nine years old. They told me if I'd get baptized, I'd be saved. I, I did everything they told me. And 32 years old, I woke up and realized if, if, I, if I died that day, I'd bust hell wide open. Been in the ministry for eight years. You see, they convinced me that I'd sinned. I'd never been convicted that I was a sinner, and only the Spirit of God can do that. And God changed me overnight. And it's incredible. People that base what they are, and they base their worth on things that, are touch, that they can see, touch, and feel that are tangible. Well, Paul says in verse 7, the last part of it, if anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. The word anyone in verse 7 leaves it open. He, he does this. He picks on certain words, and such one or anyone. You don't know. He may be per, per talking about somebody in particular but not choosing to use his name. We don't really know what he's doing there. It could just open it up. If anyone is confident in himself. The word confident is the word pitho, which means they're, they're persuaded about something. They're totally persuaded about something. It's in the perfect tense, so they're basing it on something in the past that perhaps has happened in their life, but they, they have an, an inner, he says, in himself heightens the impression one has within himself. Now, Paul, what he's really saying here is, if anyone is certain of his Christianity, then he'll have the discernment that I am one too. 
If anybody's saying, I'm not a Christian, and he's saying he's certain that he is, we got a problem here somewhere. Because if he's a believer, the witness in his spirit will bear witness in my spirit. He'll know that I'm a believer. He appears to be slanting this by what he's saying to the false teachers who accuse him of not being what he says he is, although they're telling everybody that they are. We just saw how the false teachers based their conclusions about everything on outward things, such as pedigree, etc. I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. I'm a descendant of, of Abraham. We saw that in chapter 11, verse 22. By Paul's having to defend himself, what I see here is, is the standard of how they judge themselves. Man, we're, we're of Israel. We're of Abraham. We, we're Hebrews. Whatever their reasons, somehow they'd convinced themselves and they convinced others in the church that they were of Christ. But there's some problems with that. We know that they even presented themselves as ministers of Christ. It says in, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, are they servants of Christ? The word servants is also ministers. We know that they brought letters of, of commendation. They must have had a, a stack full of them because Paul didn't and had to defend that in 2 Corinthians 3, 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need as some, there we go again, letters of commendation to you or from you? They had the audacity to identify themselves as super apostles. <laughs> in fact, Paul dealt with that in, in chapter 11, verse 5, for I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles that they must have presented themselves. But while they're doing this, they're presenting themselves as believers and ministers and apostles, all this. But at the same time, they sought for monetary gain. They peddled the Word of God. It says in 2 Corinthians 2.17, For we're not like many, and there's that generic term there again, peddling the Word of God but we do it out of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. We also know at the same time they indulge in immorality, sensuality. 2 Corinthians 12, 21, I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned, many of those, their term again, sinned in the past and not repented of their impurity, immorality, and sensuality, which they've practiced. And in their deceitful arrogance, saying they're one thing and living another, but convinced themselves, they convinced themselves that there are these things, and they've convinced certain ones in the church of Corinth. In the midst of all of that, they're living a, a whole different lifestyle that the people already knew about. After all, these men had credentials, and they had social status, and education, and communication skills and had convinced themselves and others, but yet they were fake. Paul says of them in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. we haven't got there yet, but you have to read ahead, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. You know, I don't know what we're going to do in the 21st century. The flesh is looking at, at flesh and identifying with it and missing the spirit altogether. Where's the discernment in the 21st century? You, you turn a television program, I call it the Duda channel, and you turn it on, and somebody's telling you that if you'll send in $1,000, God will send you 1000 back. And they're still on the air, and people are still watching. You know, the problem is not that these people are around, but the problem is people are listening to them. And as they listen to them, they build the wrong strongholds in their minds. And this is what determines the lack of discernment. This is what determines the whole misunderstanding of what Christianity 
is? Well, his, Paul is a total contrast to all of that. And that's what he's trying to say. Look at, look, look at what's before you. You're, you're looking at things as they are outward. Look deeper than that. His genuineness is seen in so many different ways. The undeniably changed lives of the, of the church of Corinth, the ones he's writing to, is one of, one of the best proofs there. He says in 2 Corinthians 3, 2, You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, the changed lives of people you can't fake when, when it's changed from the inside out. It is seen in the way he presented the gospel of Christ. He says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5, We don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves is your bondservants for Jesus' sake. It's seen in the persecution and the hardships that he had to endure for Christ. That's one of the first things you look for in 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 10, 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29, too many of them to list. It is seen in the fact that Christ himself commissioned him as an apostle. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 9. 2 Corinthians 12, 2 and 4. You see, the true believers in Corinth needed to rethink who is and who isn't because the people that were duping them based everything on something that was outward. They based their worth on tangible things. But Paul was on the inside out and was credible before God. He knew he belonged to Jesus. Paul was God's apostle. He was not ashamed of it. In verse 8, he says, For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. Let me ask you a question. If you stood before God tonight, somehow you're on your way home, boom, death, and you stand before God, and he says, Why should I allow you to be in my heaven? What would your answer be tonight? What would your answer be? Do you know because you know, because you know, because you know that you're born again? That's the inner witness of the Spirit. If you don't have that tonight, listen, I'm not trying to scare anybody and put a, a doubt in your mind, but I'm saying to you that flesh bases everything, bases its whole worth on that which is tangible. But the inner witness of the Spirit is what we base it on. And Paul said, I belong to Jesus. What's the stronghold in your mind tonight? Is it the stronghold of God's Word that gives you that discernment? Flesh looks on the outside and not on the heart. Because of that, it, 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 it bases its worth on tangible things. Well, my time's just flat run out. I got a whole other point. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to be here next weekend, Lord willing. And we'll just start right there. You know, men are funny creatures, aren't we? And I know, ladies, you don't have to completely agree with all this, but men, we understand. Isn't it funny when we get past mid at middle, <laughs> at mid-age, you know, and we get over 60 or get over 50 or whatever, isn't it funny when we get that pot belly, we don't even see it? Is that incredible or what? I have a friend of mine that doesn't even know he has one. He walks around and flexes in the mirror, and he's got a gut that hangs all the way down here. You see, you can't see that far. You can only see it right here. It looks pretty straight that far. <laughs> the belts pull so far up under here, you can't see it. When I was at, when I was at Willow Park, you don't know how big I used to be, folks. I'm around 262, 665. I weighed 298. Well, actually, I weighed 300, but never told anybody. It sounded better, 298. 
And I was on television when television adds 12 pounds. And I was somewhere. I thought, man, I bet I look good on TV. <laughs> I was over at Precept Ministries one day walking through the video part, and they had screens up, and they were doing the tapes and editing the tapes. And I walked by and looked, and I'm thinking, man, who's that fat slob? And then I had to stop. Whoa! And I looked back and had to do a double take. Goodness gracious, I was standing sideways with every bit of it that hung over. You can see that. At least keep a front view as much as you can. <laughs> I'm glad I walked by there because I wouldn't have ever thought about losing weight until I saw that. My wife's been trying to tell me, but who listens to their wives? I, I, finally, I finally saw it. I finally saw it. You say, Wayne, why would you tell that at the end of a message? Because, I want to tell you something. I'm running you by, in Scripture, what we really look like if we're walking after the flesh. If you are walking after the flesh tonight, I want you to know you have no spiritual discernment whatsoever. You have none. You had not got a clue how to judge a church. You haven't got a clue how to discern a Christian. You just don't know. And if you're walking after the flesh, I know because I've been there. If you're walking after the flesh tonight, you're even basing your salvation on something that's external. And perhaps you have not even had the inner witness of the Spirit of God that you're a child of God. You see, this is where we are. If, if you're not going to build the stronghold of God's Word in your mind, then all of this disappears that you're looking for. And you're left with what the flesh is. But there's hope. If you see it tonight... You come to Jesus, friend, and you confess that before him, and you listen. We're trying to get you in the Word. Let it, get in the Word of God. Let him renew your mind. I'll tell you what, it'll open your eyes up to things you never thought you had seen before. It's like a person goes out and buys a Suburban and never had one. All of a sudden, now he sees them everywhere. It's incredible. It's incredible. I just, I love you. And if I ever sound mean, I'm not mean. Good guy, I ain't got a mean bone in my body. I get a little passionate. But you know what I want? I want us to see us come to a place of maturity to where we can deal with one another and discern and pray with one another and build the Word into our minds. And this church becomes something that the world sees a difference. Maybe they might not understand it, but they see the difference. They see Christ in it. Where are you tonight? For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.